So what? So, hi. Hi. So Battle Ready is a podcast <laughs> that uh, we do together whenever I can get them to talk to me publicly. Yeah. And but we talk enough privately. So it's, you know, it's one of those things like how often should we air out our dirty laundry? And when you're a pastor's kid, it's every Sunday <laughs> for four gatherings. You're very creative. Your laundry goes out every day. Every day. <laughs> no. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> um, so do you want to start us officially? No, no, no. Uh, th- <laughs> it's my thing. Okay. Yes, no, it is. So he is our, all of our boss. And he's also like our spiritual leader and our senior pastor. We don't use the word senior pastor because age is touchy. And um, I'm sorry, this is, I meant to honor you, but I'm just being funny. I will not u- hold your youthful inexperience against you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me know when I'm allowed to get a, a two bathroom warehouse, please. And um, no, but he is the reason. Um, he is the reason we get to do things like this. It, uh, Hollywood is huge and, and self-sustaining and epic and world-known, and yet you still believe in growing the church to different uh, spots around the city and around the country and around the world. And without that vision, this wouldn't exist. We wouldn't exist. And you create constant new spaces for young people to serve and to build and to lead. So I thank you. Can we give it up for him, please? My dad. And, uh, we love you. And then that's it. Okay. That's all I got. So we do a thing called Battle Ready. The way it started was he wrote a book called The Last Arrow. He was dying. He didn't die. Um, you had a battle with cancer. I had cancer. Yes. And in the last chapter, it's, it was titled Battle Ready. And I said, we didn't really know what was going to happen. But when we, you had gone through surgery and you had kind of fi- we figured out you were, you were going to live. And which was, re- I say it lightly, but it was actually like a really heavy season of our life. And I don't know that I fully have processed it. And the last chapter is called Battle Ready. And I said, well, what if the conversation that we have out loud is you helping the next generation, but any generation, get ready for what is coming ahead of their life? And so we asked questions. We, I think one of the first ones we did was mental health. Yeah. And... Um, and then we've talked about anything from the Clippers winning against the Warriors, two games. We're, we're going to talk about that tonight. It's really important. And uh, we want to deal with important cultural phenomenons. Yeah. And, uh, and how Jesus is revealed in them. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah. We're going to keep everything about Jesus. So even when I'm talking about the Clippers, I want you to know. I want you to leave here going, yeah, they talk about Jesus at, uh, at Venice. We do. We do. Definitely. So tonight, what do we, oh, it's, we, every podcast that I listen to has advertisements. So we don't really have those. No. Um, so can we talk about things that are going on in our church? We just had the biggest Easter ever. We did. We had an amazing Easter. We just gave it up for all the different campuses. And, 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 and. It really is an amazing time for us. Um, I've never really tried to do what we're trying to do right now, and I've never tried to raise 20 million, and I know you said 22, but yeah, I guess... That, that two million's for the Venice campus. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and 20 million feels big enough to me, and, um, and it's, it's really a huge endeavor for us, because if you look at our finances and our resources as a community, 
Uh, it's a really young, Mosaic is really young. It's always been young. The average age of Mosaic is like 26. And, um, and most of you will be very successful and will have a lot of discretionary wealth at one time in your life. But it isn't today. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things, and, and which is crazy because like our biggest givers at Mosaic are people who don't live in L.A., and uh, most of them were people who were impacted by Mosaic when they were in their 20s, but now they're older. And they just decided to invest back in the place that helped them come to know Jesus. And so I just want to lay that out. Like even um, the commitment to be a part of something bigger than yourself isn't just about today. It's, it's a lifelong commitment. You know? And so I do hope some of you just absolutely crush it. I hope all of you do, you know, and, and, and remember, it's not about how much you have. It is about how much you give, you know, and because some of you are going to have great wealth and you're always going to live with some level of guilt and that you have so much. And the best way to alleviate that is to be a, a good human being and to be generous and to invest in the people and the communities and uh, that have invested in you. So we're doing here to stay. We're going to try to raise $20 million, and, and, um, and I, it's just honestly, you guys could pray for me because I'm having a lot of conversations with friends, you know, around other parts of the world, and just talking to them about why what we're doing in Hollywood, what we're doing in L.A., what we're doing from here to the world is so important, and, um, and, and I just think that God's going to keep building on this, so I'm excited, so we have till June 30th, so we have a heart out. And uh, it's kind of amazing to have a deadline. And, uh, wow, when you think of deadline, the first word is dead. And, uh, you know, so we're going to have a lifeline, right? you know, because we're going to hit that date and beautiful things are going to happen. And then we come into Easter and, uh, I mean, I, I, I immediately on Monday I met people who said they came to Mosaic, but they gave up because there was no parking. And they came to one of the lowest attended gatherings at 2 o'clock, and they just said we just couldn't get there. And I, I know friends who just gave up and uh, just decided I'm just going to stay clear. And a part of what we want to do is just keep, yeah, I feel like Mosaic is like, a, it's like a waterfall that just keeps cascading. And it pours into Venice and Orange County and Seattle and Pasadena and Mexico City and hopefully across the world. And, and so we just want to create more vehicles for human community. And by the way, what's happening here in Venice is really unique. I mean, you guys are really special. And every time I see, I mean, is it Emily and, and David, David up here? You guys are just so talented, so gifted. And, and I'm sort of going, man, when I was 12, I couldn't do that. No. <laughs> That's unkind. unkind. I mean, it's, it's awesome to have a goatee at 12. And, uh, so good. It's, it's beautiful because, and you have, and Emily, you have such incredible stage presence and such command and intelligence and... You know, David, you came up with so much energy. You, you, you didn't expect the room to meet you there. You took the room somewhere. And, um, and that's exciting to me because I watch, I, I, I feel like the future leaders of the world are emerging out of Long La Venice. And, uh, and it's a beautiful space. And I want to just, you know, tell you guys, you and Aaron um, and Carlos and Soti and the whole team that's here working, Matt, and all these guys, They've really put a lot of time and energy in here. And uh, never let something fool you by its size. Now, don't let it fool you by its size. It's, it's, there's, there's a powerful force when people move together to change the world. 
you have enough people in this room to start a revolution that will be marked for another hundred years. So it's only up to you how much you want to do in the world. You know? So you had some things you wanted to get off your chest. <laughs> we know you want to talk about the Clippers beating the Warriors. No, no, you know what I want to talk about? And I do, I do love sports. And, uh, but I, but I, a lot of it is because I love watching the dynamic of teaming, of leadership, and, um, and whenever you're under pressure, there are things about you that are revealed that can be concealed when you're not under pressure. So you can look like an amazing leader when everything is easy. And then when things get hard, you actually become more clearly defined by who you actually are. And that's why you don't really learn a lot about a person in success. You don't really learn a lot about yourself in success. You learn a lot about yourself in failure. And, and so I, I, I thought two things that came to my mind was, well, there's several, but one of them was when the Clippers came back from 31 points. Like, I can understand against game, the Warriors. In game two. In game, game was three. It? Game, game three. three? Two? And game two. And now, and if you don't follow sports, you can still kind of, this is really important because the team that was better was ahead by 31, and they should have been. And the team that clearly does not have as much talent was down by 31, and it would be impossible to come back. And, and there's so many psychological factors involved, and that's why I wanted to ask you about resilience. Because there's some people who, when you're down by 31, you just throw in the towel. Now, to, to not give up, your goal actually can't be to win. Because you could psychologically come to a very rational conclusion, there's no way we can come back from 31. You have to actually make a decision that every moment demands of you your best. And, and so a lot of people think, oh, they just didn't give up the prize that you can win. And, um, but um, that's so easily defeated because the moment you realize or you think, I can't win, you, you're right. And so I just want to talk to you. You, you. you have a team, and it's been true for the last couple of years, that every campus admires the people you guys raise up. Yes. And, and I just wanted to ask you, like, when you're looking for resilient people, when you're looking for people that you're going, okay, because you came here because Venice was the hardest section in L.A. County to grow a church. Well, we can't, yeah, I don't know if it was, I don't know if that's the thing. Is it the thing? It's, it's pretty um, close. Yeah. Well, and, we, we, and, yeah. Yeah. You well, came here because you felt other people thought it was impossible. Yeah. Well, I came here because I heard other pastors say that there's nothing that would grow here. Wow. Yes. And so I was like, oh. <laughs> and they have an air one. <laughs> so, so, so I was like, if it doesn't grow, I can eat. Right. So uh, you, No, let me finish. Let me finish. Yeah, okay. uh, no, but that is, that is the case. And that is something that we've talked about since the beginning is we came here because they said it couldn't be done. And, that, and we grew really quickly, which was really cool. And then I killed it by switching venues. And, and then it's like rebirthed itself. And a lot of the leaders who were the leaders are now either moved into new campuses or new positions or even like up to Seattle, Mosaic Seattle or down to Mosaic Mexico and traders. Um, and then um, <laughs> and we're all the same team. We're all on the same team. And, and, then, and then watching the guys who were kind of the next like generation of leaders 
replace them with, with a way that is like truly unique and truly valuable. And it is less about me, less about Carlos and Zoti, though we, I think they're some of the best leaders ever, creating such like stickiness. But it is so much on the people of the West Side, I think, taking ownership of the fact that they are the church. You know, this is 99% driven by volunteers. You know, 99.9% and like two Puerto Ricans. <laughs> So being resilient is, I think, an internal, an internal matter of the heart to not, not just not die, but also to thrive. Right. So you came here essentially 31 points down because you came to a spot that people felt like couldn't flourish, couldn't, couldn't grow. Couldn't flourish, couldn't grow. But out of this place, our campus pastors for Orange County have come, yeah. Eric and Tess, and yeah. out of this place, our youth pastor for South Pasadena, yeah. John Thomas, has come. Yeah. And out of this place, a huge number of the volunteer leaders like Dom and others who have literally gone to Hollywood because the Hollywood team needed the level of leadership that was being built out of here. Yeah, we, yes, we do and, have the best leaders in our whole church. And, and, and so, <laughs> the, so our other camp, this little tiny campus in Venice Beach is raising up more leaders, I think, than probably all of our campuses combined. So if someone's here going, I want to be a part of that. I want to be in the middle of that cyclone. Yeah. What would you say, what, what, name three things you're looking for in people. Loyalty is the first one, hands down, loyalty. Will you show up when you're offended? Will you show up when I don't say hi to you? <laughs> I'm socially awkward and, and don't want to. Um, not, in, not in a personal way, but like, but like will you show up um, and love other people like it's your job even though it isn't? And, and it, I think that's, those, are the, those are the things that I go, this team inspires me. I, I'm like, I, there's case after case, story after story, human life after human life that has uh, probably changed the way I see and how we do church as a whole. And this is a case study in a huge way. It was like something that shouldn't have worked and yet something so beautiful popped up and is alive. And I think is the proof that churches can grow in places that people think they can't. Um, because people are willing to come together and build church, yeah. build a tribe, and, be, and bring their pockets of people into like, our church and, and together. And, and people are so different on this team, and it's so, so cool. And, I love, and people are so different here compared to our whole church. Like, it's so different, right? Hollywood's crew to Venice, and yet we're still family, and we're still together, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. All right, so I'm going to summarize some of the things I just heard you say, because you used the big word loyalty. And we're the best. <laughs> yeah, no. and remember this podcast is going all over the world <laughs> no. um, the first thing in the side of that loyalty what I heard you say is people who show up with loyal people yeah and so because you say okay how can I demonstrate I'm loyal the first thing is you show up and second thing is you're slow to take an offense no, no, being loyal doesn't mean showing up being loyal means showing up when it's hard yes because anyone can show up you know what I mean it's yeah. easy to, it's easy to date it's hard to fight then date yeah Right? It's hard, to, it's hard to be, it's like love is a choice, loyalty is a choice. Yeah. Now, I always tell people if you think Mosaic's perfect, um, welcome because you're here for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we're going to destroy that idea yeah. real quick. 
And, and that's the thing is like, I think there's um, almost like a romantic phase with any kind of um, organization or community or church where a person just thinks this church is awesome, everybody's awesome, and then they get offended by someone or something goes wrong or a need isn't met or they're disappointed. And that's what really, that's when you begin to figure out who's here just to receive and who's there to also contribute and invest. Wait, can we talk about that though? Yeah. We were, Cause this is one of the things uh, on the hit list that I sent you. Uh, Easter, yeah. people still go to where their mom and dad go to church for Easter. Well, they're loyal to their mom and dad. But uh, as a parent, <laughs> I, I feel that, you know. <laughs> I, Here's the problem. No, no, wait, hold on. I haven't set it up yet. Let me have something. All right. Go for it. You have 10 books. I get this YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm loyal, so go ahead. No, that's what I'm saying. We had, this was the idea. Is that Easter, some, somewhere along the way, Christians made Easter a holiday like Christmas. Instead of, does that, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's more important to have lunch with the four people that you've known your entire life than to bring four new people to church and open your doors and open your family. Not saying that everyone's the same, but one of the things we've been seeing in new campuses is that people will, who are in core leadership will go to their parents' church before they bring their parents to their church. That the future of the faith and the forwarding of their church and their family is less important than the tradition that they've grown up with. Which, great, beautiful, but I, you've, taught me to, you've taught me that nothing is sacred in that way. You go where God's moving. And so I'm like, why would you go every week where God's not moving, but then you go someplace where God's moving, but you're not there every week? I'm just so confused. Does that make sense? You're like, you're building the thing that God told you to build, but then you need to get lunch, so you go to mom's house. Like, this, this, this. I think the reason this is so important, I just, I love that Aaron is so focused on reaching the world. And, but this is why it's important. When you decide on the day where it's most likely a person without God would say yes to you, that you wouldn't use that strategically to grow their own faith in their life. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 had a, I had a guest on Sunday, and today we got coffee for a couple of hours, and you know, he said, hey, I'm an atheist and I'm Jewish. And I love the fact that he got to come to church and experience it for the first time in his life and, and, uh, and ask me all kinds of questions about, so how do I feel this more and, um, as an atheist? And I, I just don't, I, I agree with you completely that we have to have a shift. And a part of a movement is when you realize you can't take those moments that are genuinely like almost divinely appointed and not take advantage of them, not step into them fully. Right. And yeah, I mean, I speak seven times that day or eight times that weekend, not because I need to or want to even, but because I know that people are trusting us. They're trusting me on that day. They're gonna bring their furthest friends from Jesus, their furthest friends from God. And, and I want them to have confidence that when they come, okay, I know everyone's going to say something that will be relevant and meaningful and maybe can really connect to them. And so it's something we're doing together. You know, so it, yes, I, I feel your frustration when people decide we'll just go to Coachella. He, I don't know if he really feels it, though, because <laughs> you had like 10,000 people go to your campus. <laughs> no, but, I, no but, but it is a real thing. We're talking about it like, like Coachella is awesome, which I went to Coachella weekend one because Mariah McManus played 
and so cool. No one knows that she doesn't post anything ever. Um, and I was not inspired. I was like, this is great. The sunsets are great. But I like what we're doing as a church is so much more interesting. Like I, I, I texted, I was texting one of our creative teams. I was like, Tess, the visuals on everything average at best. <laughs> like, what we, like what we have ready for Easter was so much more interesting. And I'm like, how do we, how do we get the attention of culture when it's so shifted sometimes? And it was so cool too to be there in that situation and see Mariah like do her thing and like, and but I'm getting off top of it. But then you have Coachella weekend too, which I think we dominated. We won. And um, but we it is a part of that. Like, what do we do with with our time and our space? Do you know what I mean? Like, what do we do with with? And we're we're going off topic from resilience. So should we get back to that resilience? Well, if you're not resilient, be resilient. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you were talking about loyalty, and then you connected to Easter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you yes, it, what's hard is no. It's it, if you want to become a leader, you have to decide what your priorities are. That's so good. And you know, so if you're just an attender, you can go. Well, I'm not. You know, my priorities are different. But when you're a leader, you are making sacrifices. It's it's kind of funny because when people come to work, like at Mosaic, they don't realize sometimes it's actually a real job, and with and it's in a really hard job. And it hits them one day, I will never get another weekend or holiday off for the rest of my life, right? I mean, think about this for a minute. Like, if you decide to work in this role, you work every weekend and every holiday. And it's, people always put in, like, I want Christmas off. I'm going, that's when Jesus was born. You will be here. And, uh, you know, and, you know it's, and, and everybody else, and people say, yeah, but my whole family, I know. You're, you're, he's an engineer, he's a doctor, she's, you know, you know, she's an architect, he's a teacher, you're a pastor, guess who's not going to be there? And, uh, and it's, it's, it's challenging. There is an ironic, like, that it, like, a nature to it, like, when people first start working in church, I'm like, you don't do, they're like, well, his birthday, they're celebrating it Sunday at 10 a.m., they're having brunch. I'm like, do you celebrate your birthday at Monday at at 12 p.m. so that in the middle of his work day and make everybody there it's a very interesting right no but but because we're the church we have to go like it's very interesting right like you're like okay since you're a part of the church you need to actually be at everybody's birthday so I think the one forever practical application this for you is that there's a natural funnel and if you want to have greater impact on the world in the purpose of Jesus you have to be willing to make greater sacrifices. I think a lot of us want maximum impact with minimum sacrifice. And we're always trying to figure out how to negotiate that. And I, I do think one of the things that makes this campus so unique is, I, and I keep telling you, I think you guys like the Navy SEALs. You, 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 know, you are all serving. There's so many of you just giving your life, giving your time, giving your energy. And I guarantee you this. Even if you are never, quote, um, in ministry as a vocation, you will be so much better at everything you do. You'll be better at whatever occupation you have, whatever passion you're pursuing, whatever dream you're going after. The, the principles and practices of living a life that's intentional and uh, is, uh, is invaluable. The training that you get is really significant. I've had so many people who move from our staff to other businesses and they instantly got promoted and they told me the workload from working at Mosaic was so much more than the workload in this corporation. 
One guy said he left and he went to another place and I said, hey, do you want to come back? Because he was kind of awesome. And uh, he goes, are you kidding? I'm getting paid so much money to work 10% of what I worked with you. <laughs> and he, and he, he said, I, I was unhappy for the first year until I realized, oh, the rest of that time is called off. <laughs> and, uh, and now he's in a different rhythm of life. But I, I, you know, I want that massive time off when I die. And uh, I want to make a difference in the world. And I raised compulsive type A driven people who whatever they do, they need to do it the best they can and with everything they have. But I do want to tie these pieces. I think sometimes I want people to have takeaways on these battle readies. Because I think the dynamics of loyalty that you look for are people who show up when it's hard. And, you, and people who are willing to invest in others, not just to be invested in themselves. And, uh, and, and I think that's an important thing because if you come for what you can receive, eventually it won't be enough. But if you come, and we all need to receive some, right? You know, we're all receiving encouragement and inspiration and faith and love and community. But if you come for what you can give, you'll receive more than you ever did when you came to receive. It's sort of metaphysical. It's like the OA, you know? And, uh, no, no, no. If you give your life away, you'll get more life. If you serve more, people just naturally begin to serve you more. If you're a good friend, you'll have more friends. And, but if you spend your life trying to get those things, they will always be elusive to you. And, and one of the things I've seen in, is one, you're a very loyal person. And, um, and so you assume it's, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to bleed with that person. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fight with that person. You're going to have conflict. You're going to overcome the conflict. You're going to have moments where things are falling apart, and you're going to get through that. And I think one of the things you can learn relationally, it's so important in life, is that you actually do not have deep friendships and deep relationships if you've never had a fight. And it, when I've talked to married couples, and I don't know if anybody's here is married, but I've talked to married couples who say, oh, we've never had a fight in our lives. Good luck. And I tell them, I said, if you've never had a fight, one of you is completely compliant. One of you is so dead in your soul because you're afraid to actually speak your mind. And because I've been married 35 years, let me tell you, my mind is not Kim's mind. My opinions are not Kim's opinions. And... We've had so many fights over 35 years. And, and, and it is, but it's the fact that we can get through those fights and move back to intimacy and love and trust that makes our relationship stronger and stronger. And stronger. So good. Um, can we unpack, let's see, what else did we want to talk about? We wanted to talk about, where do you want to go right now? Well, one of the things I want to talk about too is things. like, um, just on the same line, like, have you been observing, like, when people work together, what do you think makes a great team? Because I am going back to You want to, to the... talk about, like, helpful things. I do. I want to talk about drama. Drama? <laughs> I want to... Like, it's, it's so different. You're so meaningful, and I'm so petty. It's so different. All right, let, let's uh, talk about drama. Okay, hold up. You walked in here, and you said, I do not want to wear nice shoes because there's a, there's a blog that's, like, roasting oh, pastors for nice man, shoes. man, for, like, the last month, I've been, Which, like, the object of wait, hate and derision. You hold your mic the normal way, not like a rapper. Because um, I don't know. I don't know. It's all about the you're shoes. You're like this. 
You're not helping. I, this has got to go out to people. I need the mic. I need it of your voice. Uh, this is a completely irrelevant, and we've talked about not talking about this a bit, but we started the Here to Stay campaign, and it was like a week worth of just a lot of sleepless nights, and our creative team was incredible in executing that release. And, and then we took, you took us to like, someone had a beach house, and they like offered it to us, and we went and took like a day, and we did a staff like meeting. And then someone in the staff happened to show me this like blog that like became this roasting thing for pastors and I'm a little bit protective, I'm super loyal, so then my blood just gets boiling. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like blackout, angry, ripping people in the comments. Now I'm blocked by them. On <laughs> See, and I, I'm actually so strangely naive that I started getting like tweets and DMs, people asking me questions about fashion and clothes, and I'm so oblivious to the fact that I'm being destroyed. Somebody goes, hey, what about these, what is it, off-white Air Force Ones? And I go, oh yeah, they're a gift of, from a friend, and why, what about them? And, uh, and, and I realized, little by little, that every time I answered one, it just got worse, and I realized, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of something. <laughs> and uh, bigger than myself. And, uh, Bigger than myself, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. You know, and, and, then, and then I saw it and I went, oh man, what the proverb says, if you argue with a fool, you become one. Yeah. <laughs> I roasted that fool so bad. I roasted him for like 30 minutes straight. And I was like, hold up. Yeah. So, Can I quote myself? Yeah. <laughs> no, but we wanted to talk about that because we, we, there's two different things that we so often do in our lives. We like either inspire and ignite people or we incite people. And, and so often we bring the culture. Like someone, it was like ironic. There's this worship leader who has like all of these awards and he posted a photo of all of his awards. I actually really like him. And he posted a photo of all of his, of his awards and then wrote this long like post about how you know we're not supposed to be of the world but yet we reward just like the rest of the world does that make sense like he's like we take the grammy system and use it just for, for christian music and then all of his friends who were like other like the head pastors are just roasting him in the comments like yeah but nice awards but is that <laughs> it, called humble brag it's kind of humble bragging. Yeah, yeah but it actually did bring a great like thought process of like we tend to bring whatever um, type of culture copy and paste into this culture. You know, like the, you go to a certain, you know, like sneak, the sneaker culture came from like the hype beast world and they just roast each other. So then you put a pastor in the mix and it's like, why aren't you feeding the homeless? And it's like, yeah, we, we do a lot of great work around the world. And yet they come for people. And it's an, it's an interesting thing. Like what is it about us that decides that we're gonna incite with like such spiteful, like, like arrogant perspective? Well, one, I think that um, when you feel insignificant, hate is the fastest way to become popular. And... Time out. <laughs> say it again, please. Yeah. And so you have to wait, be wait, careful. Wait, say it again, please. When you feel insignificant, hate is the fastest way to become popular. And because haters will join you quickly. And, and so you have to be careful. And the one thing is I have to like, uh, and so I, I'll talk about this. I'll just kind of walk you through some of my thinking on this. But um, because my first initial response when I realized, oh, people are talking about what I'm wearing in a really negative way. And then I went through the comments and I said, oh, they're also attacking my son and they're talk, attacking my daughter and attacking my family. And I'm 
going, oh man, this has become a container for hate. And I hope this wasn't what they hoped it would be, but uh, it is. The first thing I felt was depression. And um, because, you know, uh, my kids tell me I'm way too empathetic and too emotional, feely person, but I keep it really deep inside. And, it's not uh, that deep. Not that deep? Okay, I don't know. Can you guys tell it's like I'm like oozing out of me? Okay. <laughs> um, so I was really depressed because I thought, there I go again, dishonoring the name of Jesus and um, doing something that is embarrassing my family and embarrassing our community. And I'm so sorry, God. So my first thing was like, I just felt an immense amount of sadness. And, um, and then I had to pull myself back out because it, it is why I left all public involvement with Christianity for like six years of my life. Why I stopped writing books, why I stopped speaking at events, why I only connected to Mosaic in a very private way. Because I just felt like Christians were really mean and vitriol and judgmental and condemning. And, and I can take it from an unbelieving world, but they actually like me. And it's the Christian world that seems to have so much hate. It's ironic. Yeah, and so the first thing I felt was depressed and then I remind myself, I told myself when I came back into this, because you and Mariah, Pulled me back in. I'm so sorry. I told myself I wouldn't let myself um, be shaped by opinions of other people. I told myself I'm too old to care about what other people think about me. And I have to live with intention and not, not live with this horrific sense of, of, um, of inadequacy. So I got past that. And then, I, and then I went, man, if you just asked me, I probably would have... I'm going to risk and say that um, I probably have given away more money than all those people on that entire site combined. And, um, but they're not measuring people by their generosity. And they're measuring people by their envy. Because when Kim and I were married, we slept on the floor because we couldn't afford a bed. I, I did, after that, I did an average income because I felt so terrible. Um, and for about 35 years, my average income was in the 20,000s and um, with three kids and a wife. When I turned down jobs of seven figures, and I mean, I, I'm a person who can create great wealth. I don't need this. And, uh, and, and so I was going through, okay, for 12 years, I made less than $12,000 a year because I felt called to do this. So I was having to remind myself of what I did, which is a terrible thing to do. And, and then I realized, oh, that's right. When I was poor, I never envied anyone who was rich. I never had the thought, oh, look at that person. They're less spiritual than me. And I realized this because I was actually happy. See, when I was poor, I was actually happy. I never had a sense of, God, you let me down. Uh, why are you doing this for this other person? And, and I have friends now who are... Billionaires, they have so many houses. I'm like, how do you have time to go to all of them? <laughs> you know, they don't. They, they have more houses than I have rooms. <laughs> you know, and uh, and I've never thought to myself, that's a less spiritual person than me. I think the reason is because I actually celebrate other people's success. So I've never looked at someone wearing a suit which I don't want. You know, and that may be worth whatever, $10,000 and think, well, why are they doing that? And, um, but I just know that, you know, next week, Kim is going to Malawi again, which we go to all the time. And we're working with 
people who are really underserved and in deep poverty and helping young women get an education so they become world-class leaders. And they don't ask about any of that. And so what I reminded myself so that I didn't retaliate was the only opinions that matter are the people who know me. And if the people who know me tell me there's something wrong with me, I'm corrupt or um, hypocritical or something, um, me lacking integrity, then I'm going to listen to that. But, and I would just tell you, and because it, it, like, it's funny because the guy who started actually said, yeah, I actually love sneakers and I have expensive sneakers. And, you, you know, it's like, it just, it's a, it's a endless cycle of judgment and condemnation. And so I hope one day you have billions of dollars and you have a house I can't afford. And it's okay to have cars I can't afford. It's okay to wear clothes I can't afford. Just be super generous. Yeah. Don't let people measure you by what you have. Let them measure you by what you give or you're uh, going to be measured by the lowest common denominator. And, and we know one person who's saying, why are these people buying this clothes? They should be giving it to the poor. But that guy lives in Florida, I think. Yeah, and irrelevant. What? Irrelevant. It, no, no, I'm just saying, here's the thing. Uh, no, no, his wealth, even though it would be poorer than another person, is so much richer than a person in Africa. So if you're going to hold the same standard, then give up your apartment, give up everything, and send it all overseas. The reality is that that's not the way the problems are solved in the world. Right. But real quick, the, the irony of that is that he has a company all about loving people. Um, and, and, and we have this, we've talked about tall poppy syndrome. Yes. Of, I feel like as Christians, we, te we, we tend to cut wealthy people down versus going, hey, you need to teach more people to be wealthy. And it's not just wealthy people, it's successful people. Successful people in any sense. But America, by the way, the United States wasn't like this. We are now becoming like the rest of the world in this. See, Australians and, and Kiwis and New Zealand and a lot of Europeans, they had this dynamic, it was called crab antics or cutting down the tall poppy where the moment someone succeeded, everyone attacked them. So they celebrated them until they succeeded, then they destroyed them. And so the moment the poppy grows taller than the rest of them, you cut it down. The United States did not have that culture. The United States had a culture where we actually celebrated greatness and said, if that person achieved greatness, I can achieve greatness too. If that person achieved success, I can achieve success too. See, the moment you do not believe you can become the person you're created to be, that you can live the life you were created to live, you live a life of measurement by envy. And so I, like, I want to celebrate people. And, um, and I want to be able to wear the shoes that Kevin gave me that I didn't even know were so valuable. And, uh, you know, and because uh, of, you know, so I think it was my birthday. Yeah. He, I was overseas. It's actually someone in Asia. And, uh, and he, I think he got them for free. And uh, did, because yeah. he had a friendship. And, and that's the other thing is like, you know, my wealth is relationships. Because when you invest in people for 40 years, they want to invest in you back. You know, and um, but like even today, I didn't know we we're going to talk about this. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I spoke at Nike and um, at their corporate, you know, center. And they gave me this extraordinary gift of uh, these shoes that have not shown up in any store. And uh, they're very unique. And uh, and today I gave them away to someone. I said, come with me in my car. And I had them there waiting for him because... And that brought me so much happiness. And, you know, there's a little part of me that goes, man, those are rare. They're the only ones I'll ever see like that. Right, you know? Because you got that human part of you going, 
bye-bye. <laughs> you know? And then there's another part of me going, I always want to make sure I send out more than I ever receive. Because I want God to go, I love being generous to Erwin, because Erwin's so generous with the world. So cool. That's all I got to say about that. So I'm, I'm going to keep styling and do what I do. <laughs> Is there anything we're not hitting that we should hit? You know, I think out of this is that one of the things that makes Mosaic unique is that we have a value for human uniqueness. Think different. Yeah, and what you want to be careful of is whenever religion or any institution sees it necessary for you to conform to their expectations of what you should be. And that level of standardization and conformity is unhealthy. And, and so I started looking back going, I have never fit in. Why should I think at 60 I would fit in? I didn't fit it when I was a teenager in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s. And I'm hoping I can create a tribe of people who never live a life of obligation. You live the life that is uniquely, beautifully you. And I think it's one of the expressions of our culture. So we have a value for human creativity and human uniqueness. Yeah, so I'm, I've, we've been spending a lot of time in Orange County. I spend half the, the week there with, with a whole team that's moved there to kind of build church in the middle of an, a completely obligated culture of you were obligated to get a nine to five, to finish four years of college, to be in debt, to buy a house, to be in more debt, to live the American dream, to have three, 2.3 children, and then, to, you know, and then to repeat this cycle five blocks down from where your parents grew up. And we've been having this interesting, like, conversation with the culture there, with people who are, like, so attached to not even the dream that they have for themselves, because it's secondary to the dream that's been imposed on them. And, it's, and I've, it feels like we've almost moved back in time, and, which is really interesting. And so Tess and Eric are there, and Tess is, like, this really, like, you know, wild... Like, you know, she had purple hair for half the time I've known her. And then we've got, like, Eric Roy, who, like, grew up in the thick of Orange County. And can polar opposites. But we're going, we go back and we're like, wow, the culture feels like we're going backwards, where we're the ones who are trying to break people free of this, it feels like control. Yeah. And so what do you, how do you step into a relationship or a faith? How do you start having a faith that is actually your own? Yeah, first, with I'm dreams kinda, that are your own. Kind of curious. How many here have felt at some time in your life that you needed to become someone you did not feel you were to be loved by the people you wanted to be loved by. Okay, look, look at this room. Even I did, though. Yeah. With you. Yeah, it's in hard. In church. No, it's true. No, I'm not throwing you under any yeah, bus. Because yeah. you, lo- we talked about this yesterday, you loved me no matter which phase of life I was in. When You've I was been in a lot of phases. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of phases. Sorry, I thought I had to throw that back. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I did. I loved you through every phase. You, lo- you loved me unconditionally. Yeah, I did. Yes. Mom, not so. She loved me with a lot of conditions. <laughs> a lot of conditions. Moms are allowed to have conditions. That's just, the, everybody knows that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but she always told me the truth. She was yeah. like, you know, you may or may not be going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> But I always like, but, and then you were like, hey, no, if, if you were to go to hell, I would want to go with you and bring you to heaven. Like, you were the person who was like, I will always go to you no matter how dark of a person you are. But how, how do you not be that person? Like, how do you be the same person you are in every space? 
That's a great question. And it's funny because in the book of James, it talks about not being double-minded. And one of the images in the scriptures is actually about being um, multiple-faced. And I, I do think it's really about building your core, understanding who you are and what your priorities in life are, what your core values are as a human being. Because if you're not careful, you'll keep changing based on the people in the room with you. And if you do that enough times, you stop knowing who you are. And, and you will lose yourself, and that will be really, I think, tumultuous for you. I think one of the challenges of Orange County, and one of the reasons I never went there, is that I, I felt like <laughs> it was counter in many ways as a culture to the message that I felt Jesus had me to bring. I felt like people in Hollywood, people in LA, were in a desperate desire to find their creative essence and, uh, and, find, and root their identity in it. And so I felt like I know how to talk to LA. I know how to help you find your way through this and become who Jesus wants you to become. I didn't feel almost any resonance with um, people who chose to live in gated communities and suburbs where everything was homogenized and everything was really predictable and everything was standardized. But one thing I've come to know is that inside of every one of those human beings, there's a longing to be free and to be who God created them to be. They just have, they've just invested so much in the life they have that it's really hard to give up the life you have for the life you long for. So, I, I mean, the, one of the last times I was in OC and I spoke live, there were so many men who were weeping. I mean, I, I, all these business guys who were really successful with fighting back tears. They, and they said, this is, like, this is what I'm fighting with. So in some sense, I feel like we're going <laughs> to Nineveh, you know, and uh, to declare freedom to people. And it doesn't mean you can't have your house and your suburbs. It doesn't mean you can't have that job and you can't have those 2.3 kids. What? That poor 0.3 kid, right? You know? and, uh, it's always a ginger, too. It's always a ginger. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't mean you can't have that, but it, it does mean that you're, you're dying a slow death because you're not living the life that God created you to live. I do think a life without risk is a life without meaning. And, and it, Christianity has been preached as such a safe culture. Jesus is gonna keep you safe. Jesus is gonna make everything okay. Jesus is gonna help you succeed. And I just wanna challenge you if, you, if there is no risk in your life, there is no meaning in your life. Yes. <laughs> uh, but even just the reality of, like, the, the, I've heard quoted, Jesus would never bring anything that disrupts my family. Jesus would never bring anything that brings chaos to my family. Jesus would never bring anything that brings disorder or risk or hurt or pain or I, lack I, of peace. I or, think one of the verses that isn't quoted a lot is when Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, your wife and your children, yes, even your own life, you cannot have, no, you cannot have a part with me. Yeah. And um, that's harsh language. And I say that as a parent. See, to me, it's a, if I ever came to a place where, I, where God spoke to Aaron and said, Aaron says, I need to go do this. But it terrified me. And I said, I don't want you to do it. I just can't do it. If God is speaking to him, he has to honor me by doing what God told him to do. 
And because in the end, you dishonor me as a son if you don't live the life God created you to live. I just fear may not let me see it. And so I think we have to go, we have, we have to believe, we have to believe that every human being has a heroic narrative inside of them. That everyone has a hero waiting to be awakened. And sometimes it's just so asleep that it takes a little more to wake it up. Yeah. We need to wrap up in a second. Do you have I don't last want line? to, though. Okay, we're done soon. Okay. Um, I want to read this, this verse. Well, yeah. where do you want to end it with? No, read it. Yeah, okay. Um, it's in Isaiah 66, 9. It says, in the same way, I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born. Mm. If I cause you the pain, I will not stop you from giving birth to something new. Where is that? Isaiah 66, 9. That's nice. A translation. Yeah, it's the, the NCV. Okay. But in, in the NIV, it it's says, yeah, it, says so it uses purely um, childbirthing. And childbirthing right. makes me lose my legs. Um, <laughs> So go ahead, go ahead. No, but I, I do think, I want to say that again. Uh, in the same way, I'll not cause pain without allowing something new to be born. I do think that it also says that Jesus is the great like disruptor. Like he came to, to disrupt and, and not to bring conformity. And I think that so much of, we don't have to play the keys yet, just yet. Um, but I, I do think. <laughs> you're, you're, you're disrupting his thought. <laughs> you're being like Jesus right now, so it's okay. We'll talk about this later, Smalls. Um, no, but I do think like there is an aspect to um, forgetting. Like, we were talking about Damian Lillard, and there was a slow motion shot where he made this like insane shot, and Paul George came up and and said that was a bad shot. Yeah. And I was like, no, it was really good. It went in. But he was saying he's not saying it's a bad shot. It didn't go in. He's saying that was a bad. That was a dumb shot to take. He's like that was a bad risk to make. And I think that is literally the, the reality that so many people live in. They're so afraid to actually take the shot within their ability to take that risk. See, he could have just, the worst thing that would have happened is they would have gone to overtime. And the worst thing that could have happened is they would have lost. But he decided to take, literally shoot his shot in that moment. And, and you watch the slow motion and it's Damian Lillard shooting this like insane shot over Paul George. And then all of the people's faces like this, just like, and just like old, just like old and young, and there's like a little kid, and he's like, and it's just like frozen as it goes, and Damian Lillard is just watching, 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 and I was like, this is our relationship with God. We shoot this insane shot, and then we like act like, oh my gosh, it's astonished, and then once it goes in, we celebrate, forgetting that God is God, and he does what he does. And, and, and we, were, we were talking about like being resilient, but also like being risk-taking, and also being uh, uh, remembering that God is who he is and remembering that if he brings you through a season of pain, I mean, he, Damian Lillard lives in Portland. Um, that is painful. It's and, beautiful uh, in Portland. It's beautiful, said Nikes. Because um, Portland, they're, Nike's yeah, from Portland. I know, I, know, I got that. Yeah, okay. Um, but that, that's, that's, that is something that we talked about. Right, but the, here's the thing. Up. All right, I think this is a great point of closure, too, because one... What, what Damon uh, Lillard had to decide before he shot that shot is, was he willing to miss it and be blamed for losing the game? And 
And that is the psychological framework of a person who makes the shot at the last minute, is that the game's on me. The game's on me. And I do think it's interesting that when Paul George said that about being a bad shot, right before that, Russell Westbrook missed a really difficult layup. And I think he probably was averaging like 37% on that shot, on his shooting. Lillard was shooting almost 70% from the three. So even though it looked like a bad shot, his shot was almost double a more intelligent shot than the layup. And this is the thing for life. When you posture yourself where you've been gifted and called and been given talent and ability by God, the shot everyone will think is a bad shot is exactly the shot you're supposed to take. That's so good. I also, I love the fact, because I've been like now researching Damian Lillard, but he's someone we followed for a long time, is he's someone who said he's never going to go chase rings. He's someone who isn't just going from one home to the next home. He's actually said, Portland is my home. So what he was risking was actually the reputation of his home. But he also was relying that his home would catch him if he fell. And I think that, that, that wraps everything up of like loyalty, of being willing to show up even when you make a mistake or we make a mistake and, 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 and tying that into being resilient, to being risk-taking. And, and there's a beautiful connection here for all of you, I think, that to have the courage to fail on a team means you have confidence that a team will not betray you in failure. When you have a team of people that are for you, you have the confidence to do your best and to fail and succeed because you know that you're a part of that team no matter what. And there's something powerful that happens when you guys are for each other. When people are up here and you're cheering them on, when you want who's ever leading worship, you're just like, you know, when they're new and you realize that they're paralyzed by fear, you become their faith for them, you know? When someone's speaking and teaching and, you know, and, and maybe they're not as eloquent or skilled or, you know, as, as someone else, but like you pull them through that. What will happen is that you'll find people elevating in their talent, elevating in their capacity. And, uh, and I, I love that. If I hadn't had people who were with me when I failed, um, it, wouldn't have, it would have been so much more difficult to have the courage to step into that. And I think this is a good tie-up for this, is that if you do anything meaningful in your life, you're going to have people who go against you. You're going to have haters. If you, if you risk standing out, you will be shot at. But if you play it safe and choose to be average, choose to just fit into the status quo, choose to be like everyone else, you're going to come to the end of your life literally nauseous by the person you chose to become. And, I, and so to me, it's like, if you can fail at doing things you don't love, then why not succeed doing the things you love? And I think that's what we're talking about is, and that's the power of it is that God says there in Isaiah that if you'll just go through the pain, I'll take you to the life. And that's a great promise. You have a closing thought? Just, no, at all. <laughs> that's, just, that's just amazing. And 
Honestly, I think we should just pray it out. That's great. And yeah, you want to pray for us? Sure. It's Can a, I pray it's for you guys? An, it's an honor having you here, by the way. And, and did you enjoy tonight? I hope it was helpful to you. Um, I know. I know we want to do more of these. We have lots of thoughts, not just on culture, but but on the Bible, and we are constantly having conversations, and we want to do more mental health conversations, and, and we've been having a huge conversation of what it looks like to be depressed and, and struggle through anxiety and, and to fight through those things. So I think we'll do this again, hopefully, if you'll come back and, and do this more. Well, the next time, let's do a follow-up to mental health and dealing mm. with all the stuff we've been talking about, with depression and worry and stress and anxiety. And, I love it. And, uh, yeah. and maybe we can even set up something you could get questions from people. That'd be awesome. You guys like yeah. that? Okay, right, cool. we'll set it up like that, and, yeah. then, and I'll come back, and we'll do this together. And okay. Hey, thank you for uh, coming up with the idea for Battle Ready. It's a lot I mean, of fun. You wrote the, you wrote the book. <laughs> Will you pray for us? Yeah. Hey, I'm going to pray. If you're here and uh, you just need maybe an extra focus on being prayed for tonight, I just want you to raise your hand right now, whatever it may be. Okay. Anyone else? Beautiful. Okay, anyone else? Okay, just hold it up right now. I just want to see you. That's you. Father, I want to just pray for those first who um, just expressed a need just for some extra prayer in their life. And God, I don't know what's going on in their life, but I pray that you would bring whatever strength or help or wisdom or clarity they need. And I, I pray for those that are um, in, a, in a battle, in a struggle right now, that you give them the courage just to step up and keep hanging in there and fight their way through. And for those who are trying to make some significant decisions in their life, I pray, God, you give them wisdom and clarity and just make it so simple that they know what to do and then give them the courage to do it. God, I pray for those that maybe are working through relationships or a career or whatever they may be facing right now, that God, that... Um, you would just direct their steps in the most powerful way. And I pray, God, for those who are here and they're still trying to figure out who you are and maybe connect to Jesus in a unique way, that you would let them know how much you love them and that maybe they wouldn't even leave tonight without talking to someone and saying, hey, could I know more about Jesus? And Father, we pray for a space with two bathrooms. Maybe three, where you just want to go crazy, God, and ask you for two women's rooms and one men's room. And, uh, and ask you, God, for a space where three, four, five hundred people could come together here in Venice. And we don't know where it is, Jesus, so could you just create it? Because uh, we can't find it. But God, we want to see this community flourish and grow. We want to see people come to know your love and your joy. And we want every Sunday to feel like Easter here. And Father, I thank you for, um, for Aaron McManus, and I thank you for the courage he had to come start Venice, and uh, God, for the resilience of having to work through uphill all the battles of locations and times and schedules and days. And, and Father, I pray that you would give him and Carlos and Soti and all the team here just increased faith and courage, give them creativity, and building them a resilience. And I pray, God, you would surround them with amazing people. God, just raise up more Emilys and more Davids, God. God, more JDs, God. Just raise up more um, men and women here who say, let's just go do this. Let's take the world over and let's start here and then just finish once we've circumvented the globe. Because we want to make a difference in the world.
We thank you, Father. I'm so grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys so much. Thank you.